that video leads us to consider there isn't a lot of thinking about eternity or the afterlife by most people. How many times did you hear people say, I don't know, maybe, I hope so. There were 13 people interviewed there. Twelve believed that heaven existed. Two who were asked didn't believe in hell. And one thought there was really no afterlife at all. In just a little over four minutes, this video clip matched what we saw in the Pew Research Center last week. 83% of people believe there may be some kind of afterlife, even though it can't be proven there is one. They basically live hoping eternity, hoping that life after death really does exist, but they really don't have any assurance of it. Did you notice that those who were directly asked about hell didn't believe in the existence of hell, but they still believed in the existence of heaven? And this is why we began this mini-series on eternity. There is much confusion, even amongst Christ followers, about eternity and the afterlife. It's important that we know what the Bible teaches about eternity so that we can be confident that eternity exists and so we can share that confidence with a world who has nothing more than a passing hope that it exists. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the truth of life, that it helps us understand the world around us and the world that comes after this one. Lord God, I pray that we would be convicted, that we would be able to have confidence that we will be with you. And Father, more than anything, that we would be able to be a light to a world who needs to see that there's really an afterlife and they need to know where they're going. In Christ's name, amen. Last week we saw that there were three biblical regions, reasons, biblically, like I said, biblical reasons. We have confidence in eternity, that it is real. First, the Bible often speaks about eternity, and you see up there, Acts 13, 48. Uh, there, we went through a bunch of passages last week. We're just going to look at a couple. Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying, heard that they were included in salvation, rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Again, what does the Bible talk about? There is an eternal life. Romans 5.21, we see, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, over and over. We saw many other passages last week that the Bible often speaks about eternity. We also saw last week that Christ taught about eternity. He taught about life after death. In John 5, Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. And the Bible says that another reason why we can have confidence is because he has put eternity within our hearts. And we see that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. In that video, did we see that eternity was in man's heart? Because everybody there except one believed what? There is some sort of afterlife. They couldn't describe it. They might hope there's a heaven. They might think that there's some type of uh, reincarnation. There might be something, but they believed 
just within their being, what? There's something after this life. And we know why. Because God has put eternity in our heart. I like how the NLT translates Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted it there. It's there. It's not going anywhere. It's part of who we are. Since we are confident eternity exists from last week, some questions naturally come to mind. Does every human enter eternity? Does every human end up in the same place? If not, how many different eternal destinations are there? These and other questions are important. And we don't have time to go through all of the questions that this would bring up, but we're going to start with, does every human enter eternity? As we saw in the Pew Research survey last week, some do not believe everyone enters eternity because they don't believe there's an eternity at all. They say life just ceases to exist. But that was only 7% according to that survey. Then there are those who believe eternity exists but don't believe everyone will experience eternity. They believe those who make it to heaven, who live good enough lives or who do whatever they have to do to get into heaven, they will go to heaven. There will be eternity for them. But if you're not good enough to get in heaven, if you didn't quite make the cut, then your life just ceases. So you have those who believe in an eternity, but only for some people, those who are good enough to have one. Then you have those who believe that eternity exists, but not any type of hell, which we saw in the video. They would say that everybody is going to end up in heaven eventually. However, the Bible is clear. Every human being who has ever existed will experience eternity. Every human that has ever breathed on this planet will experience eternity. They will experience an afterlife. There is no other option biblically. We will all experience eternity. We'll start looking at that by examining or understanding that God's Word teaches our physical bodies are subject to death, and they will decay back into the dust which what they were made. By the sweat of your face, this is in Genesis, this is after the fall, God is giving out the consequences of their sin, the rebellion. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of the of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You hear this often, it's at funerals, don't you? Then we also see uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. The dust there is referring to what? The body in the context of Ecclesiastes. But we also understand that God's Word also teaches the human soul is immortal. It is not subject to death. Once created, the soul never ceases to exist, but is everlasting. And we can see this in the second part of Ecclesiastes 12, 7. And it says, and the dust, the body, which we've already read, returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit does what? Returns to God who gave it. The spirit is eternal in nature. It does not cease to exist. It does not become like the body and non-existent. We also see that 
In Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. Okay, who are the these? The these in the passage there in Matthew are talking about those who were not obey God, who did not show God's love, and the, but the righteous into eternal life. That is talking about persons. We understand that persons as souls will go into eternal life. All of humanity will live in eternity forever. But we need to understand one other important thing. Humanity will be divided into two groups living in eternity. All humans have eternal life. All humans will exist for all of eternity. But not all humans are the same when they get to eternity. In Malachi chapter 4, we read this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evil doers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stalls. How many groups do we see there? Those who are going to be burned, and we're going to find more out about that later, and those who are going to come out of their stalls leaping as calves into a life that is what? Pleasant and good. Then we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, all the way back into the New Testament, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things. The natural person means the unspiritual person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. However, the spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. How many people? How many groups of people? Throughout all the, the, the Bible, you'll see over and over and over, there, is always, there are always two groups of people. Natural and spiritual. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Again, how many groups of people? Both on earth they're looked at as two groups of people, and heaven they're looked at as two groups of people. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. This is the parable of the weeds. We're not going to read all of it, but He... Okay, that's Jesus Christ, put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So here's a problem. We have a farmer who has plowed his field, who has planted good seed. And then some enemies have come through and put what in some of your translations are tares or weeds. The problem with that, as young uh, plants, they cannot be distinguished between one another. And so he tell, uh, Jesus tells this parable, and he goes on, he tells some more parables, and the disciples keep thinking about this. They're going, what do you mean by this? So look at, go over to verse 36. Go over to verse 36. And here we see Jesus explaining this. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seeds is the Son of Man, which is whom? Jesus Christ. 
The field is the world, and the good seed is the uh, sons of the kingdom, which are his people. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. How many groups of people? Two. But don't miss this. If you are not a son of the Most High God, if you are not a son of God, who are you a son or daughter of? Satan. There is no in-between. There is no other group where you can just say, well, I, I don't know which one I belong to. You, all of us here and in eternity, believe, belong or will belong to one of these two groups, sons of God or sons of the devil. And then we see in Matthew chapter 25, turn there please, Matthew 25 starting in verse 31, talking about the final judgment. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. How many people want to be there? We're going to see that, right? And before Him there will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And we will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes through and says, This is what you show that you belong to me. He lists a bunch of things there from 35 through 40. Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. How many different groups of people? How different are those two groups of people treated? Over and over and over, we see two groups of people. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Again, two people. We see this picture over, repeatedly, over and over and then if we were to go to Galatians, which we're not going to take time to, Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the flesh. And it lists all a bunch of sins that we're all familiar with. You can uh, look at that at, if you want to later on in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. And then he will say, and but the fruit of the Spirit. So again, you see those who live by the fruit of the Spirit and those who live by the flesh, by, the sin, by sin. Over and over. When we see people in this world, there is nobody who is in between on their way to God. We all begin as sons and daughters of the devil because of our sin. And there is no other place to be except as a son of God, and that only comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. There's not somebody who is halfway there. You're either one or you're the other. God's word is clear. All of humanity will be divided into one of two groups. The Bible is also very clear that these two groups of humanity are going to spend uh, eternity in two very, very different places. Most of us know that. Most of us have already seen that in some of the verses that we've read. Uh, what are those two places? Heaven and hell. We know that. You have two groups of people spending... Their eternity in what? Two different places. This morning we're going to focus on hell. We're going to look at reflections on hell. We need to get a good grasp of hell. Why are we starting with hell? 
Why do we, why do we not start with heaven? Which one is most debated? Hell. This is the one that nobody wants to exist. This is the one that there are people who are saying, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. This is the one that we need to understand what the Bible says about it. First, we need to understand that hell does exist. Hell does exist. And I know there's somebody in here this morning who's really, oh, I just can't deal with that. How can a loving God have a hell? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it seems to go against who we are in our fleshliness, doesn't it? Because we don't want anybody to go to hell. But the Bible says it is real. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Luke chapter 12, verse 5, But I warn you whom to hear, fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Are those passages referring to just an idea, or do they in the context refer to a place? It's a place. It's not an idea. Some people will see, uh, say, hey, it's basically hell is like hell on earth. And people just keep living like that. Well, no, it, it it's not, doesn't match with what the Bible says. Hell is a place. It's not just an idea like living hell on earth. Mark chapter 9, verse 43, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands than to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. First of all, we're starting to get an idea of what hell is like, and we're going to look at that here in a few minutes. But don't forget the unquenchable fire part. Does hell exist according to the Bible? Absolutely. And these are only three passages out of numerous ones that talk about hell being a place. Most people have no problem with the idea of heaven there, where there is no evil, no more tears, and where, we'll, where we will all get to spend time with Jesus and our loved ones. We don't have a problem with that, do we? We like that idea. But when it comes to hell, Many believe there is not a place of punishment for sin and separation from God. And it may surprise you that it is not uncommon today to find in evangelical churches those who do not believe in hell. They turn it into an idea. They turn it into God is too loving to do that. And this is not uncommon in evangelical churches churches, and it's becoming more and more common. There was a pastor who was a very, very prominent, well-thought-of pastor, and he came out with a book that leaned heavily on universalism, which said, I don't believe really there's a hell and that everybody will eventually get saved, and he was a very, very influential evangelical pastor. And as soon as that book came out, there were books written against his book, and he basically disappeared off the scene. But he had thousands and thousands of people in his church. 
and he was teaching that there really isn't hell. But the Bible is clear, hell does exist, but there's one aspect of hell that we all need to be very, very aware of, and eternal hell is real. Hell doesn't just exist, but we're talking about an eternal hell. That's a hell that is never-ending. There is no break. There is no way to get out. It's eternal in nature. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. And we don't have time to look this morning closely at why God is just in sending those who have, who have not been saved into a place of eternal punishment called hell. But I just want to put it simply to you. This is like, just in a nutshell, how God is just in sending those who are not saved to hell for all of eternity. God is infinitely holy, righteous, and just. Amen? Infinitely. Can we even grasp that? Therefore, since every sin is against God first, we find that in Psalm chapter 51, every sin is against God first. Therefore, all sin deserves infinite punishment because it is rebellion against an infinitely righteous, holy God. We like to grade our sins, true? We like to think of these are kind of bad and these are kind of bad and these are a little bit worse and oh, these these over here, these are the really bad sins. The Bible, when it concerns salvation and your place in eternity, makes no distinction between any of those sins. One sin, even the smallest sin, against an infinitely holy, righteous God is justification enough for God to send that person to an eternal hell because it was an infinite rebellion against him from God's perspective. Since God is just in punishing sin for all eternity, then we, even though it is difficult, believe that the Bible's revelation of hell is that it is a place of eternal punishment. And we see that over and over again in the Bible. Matthew 25, 41, that he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into what? eternal fire prepared for the devils and angels eternal how long is that forever we can't just lay that aside we can't just say well you know matthew really didn't understand what he was saying jesus christ here uh, maybe he misquoted jesus christ no and then we see matthew 25 46 and these those who did not obey those who did not show a life of a character of God, will go away into what? Eternal punishment. But here we see the contrast. But the righteous into eternal life. Two pe- groups of people, two places, and both are eternal. Both are eternal. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 again says, both places are eternal. Then I want you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God 
that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you were also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, listen to this, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of what? Of eternal destruction separated from God forever, for all of eternity. Is there any doubt that hell is eternal? It exists. It's just not existing for, a, for some people for, until they can work their way out of hell or until they can uh, become pay for their sins. It is eternal forever. If you go to hell because you are not saved by the faith in Jesus Christ, there is no more hope for you for all of eternity. Two groups of people, two places to spend eternity, and two places that are eternal when we live in eternity, heaven and hell. So the question we need to ask is, who will go to hell? Who will go to hell? Now, we could spend a lot of time on this, but I do like John 3.18. John 3.18 kind of sums it all up in one verse. Whoever believes in Him, who's Him? Jesus Christ is not condemned. What do we all say to that? Amen. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Condemnation is what sends you to where? Hell. Believing in Jesus Christ sends you where? To heaven. So who will go to hell? Anyone who does not believe in Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. So what do I mean by believe in Jesus Christ? What do I mean by that? First, it means you've come to a place where you know you are a sinner who needs to be saved. You know your sin has earned you the wage of death, which means that you have earned an eternity in hell. That's the starting place for salvation. I am worthless before God no matter what I accomplish on this planet. I'm worthless before God because of my sin. I am depraved before God because of my sinfulness. And until I get to that place, then I will never have need of true salvation because if I'm okay with God, if I am somewhat okay with God, you know, maybe I have a chance. But God says nobody has a chance because everybody's to pray before God and nobody on their own, being a human, can earn their way into eternity. Until we understand that's how depraved we are, until we understand that there is no hope for us in our sinfulness, then we'll never look for a Savior. We never will because we don't think we need one. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? First, you need to know that you're a sinner that needs to be saved. Second, then it means you believe Jesus Christ is the only person who can save you from that eternity in hell because He came and died the death you deserve for your sins and rose again in victory over sin and death. It's belief in Him. It's a belief in this only man who has ever existed who had no sin of his own, 
who can take our punishment, our wage of death, and pay it for us and become our righteousness to give us His righteousness before God so that we are no longer the subjects of His wrath. Amen? That's what I mean about believing in Jesus Christ. We have to understand we need salvation because of our sin, and we have to understand that Jesus Christ is the only one who could have paid that debt for us, and He rose again from the grave to prove that that debt had been paid, and now we have to place our faith in Him that we can rise one day with Him in a new life because we have had faith in Him. That's what it means to believe in Christ. So how do you accept this gift of Jesus Christ has offered everyone, this gift of life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means He is master of your life. That's the work part of it, true. You can't confess and, and, say that, and have assurance of your salvation if Jesus Christ is not legitimately the Lord of your life, the focus of your life. You serve Him day in and day out. If He is not exhibited as Lord in your life or you're not growing in Him being Lord in your life, there is no assurance of salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what's the heart? The deepest part of you? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been hit by a semi? Okay, good. Nobody raised your hand because I'd want to hear your story if you did that, all right? So let's say that we'll pick on Ricky this morning. Ricky is, is walking down the, the, the road out here in front of the church, and we're talking, and a semi is coming, and you know it's 55 here, but they don't stay at 55. They're at least 60 or 70 going down through here, if you've ever been walking along this road, all right? And I look at Ricky, I said, hey, I'm going to push you in front of that semi. And Ricky's going to look at me and go, yeah, right. But if I convinced him... As that semi got closer and closer, and now it's just a few yards away, and I start trying to push him, is he going to fight me with everything that he is? Will he fight dirty? Oh, yeah. Because he believes what? That he is going to die. But has he ever been hit by a semi? How does he know? But he believes with all of his heart that if he goes in front of that semi, his life is ended. That's the kind of belief we have in Jesus Christ. There is no moving me off of that. There is no talking me out of that. There is no softening that. I believe that salvation is only in Jesus Christ. And I'm a sinner and I need him. That's what it means. But if you confess to the Lord, uh, the, Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. You will be saved. I will be saved. Anyone who believes that can be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Every, anyone who denies the twin truths that I'm a condemned sinner or denies that Jesus is the only way, the only place they have to look forward to spending eternity in is hell. And you say, okay, I have a friend at work. I've tried to witness to him and talked about heaven and hell and that kind of stuff. 
And he says he wants to go to hell because that's where all his buds are going to be and they're going to have a party all day long. You want to know something? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. So what will hell be like? Do we need to understand what that is? Absolutely. We know there's a hell. We know that there's a group of people who are going to spend eternity in hell. And we know the only way to not spend eternity in hell is through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is hell like? Well, as much as we would really like to think that we know, we really cannot know exactly what hell is like, even with the descriptions in the Bible. But Scripture does use some very descriptive language of hell, and that language leaves no doubt that hell is a place of eternal torment. Even though we don't know exactly what it means, because we're talking about a place that really we just can't comprehend. So, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 again. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse into the eternal fire. So somehow we understand that there's going to be fire in hell. We understand that the people who are going to exist for eternity in hell are going to have to deal with fire. Now there's been a lot of discussion. Does that real fire, like we know fire, where it's going to burn skin and all that kind of stuff, or is is there something else? We really don't know. Matthew gets the point across, true. It's going to be fire. It's going to be a torment. And then we see in Romans chapter 2, verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. How many of you have ever been around wrath and fury? People who have just lost it and are just furious. How fun are they to be around? Does it make your blood pressure go up a little bit? Does it make you feel anxious? For somebody to be around somebody who is wrathful and furious? It does, doesn't it? But think about existing for all of eternity in a place that is described by wrath and fury. Mm. Then we have, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, verse 6, excuse me. We've already read this, but let's look at it in light of what is hell like. Since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, what's it going to be like? There's going to be affliction. And to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, there again we have this idea, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, and they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Two things there, they will suffer eternal destruction We don't know for sure what that means. We understand it's going to be eternal again. It's going to be some type of destruction where we aren't really destroyed because we have an eternity. But here's the the part that just breaks my heart. It's not just about the fire and the wrath and the fury and all that kind of stuff. It is eternal separation from God for all of eternity. 
There is not a person on this planet who has ever experienced that because we are all under the the general grace of God right now. No matter where you live on this earth, you have air to breathe and sunshine. True. You have life. You have families. You have everything. But nobody has ever been separated utterly from God who has ever lived because we all live on His earth that He sustains. We all gain blessing from Him every day, saved and unsaved, true? Yeah. But when that time comes and there's death without salvation in Jesus Christ, then there will be a separation from God that nobody has ever experienced before for all of eternity. Romans chapter 2, verse 8, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be what again? Wrath and fury. Matthew 8, 12, while the sons of the kingdom, those are the unsaved Israel in the context, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about this, into the outer what? So what is hell? Darkness. And this is one of those things, how can there be darkness with fire? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. But there will be darkness. Think about an eternity of darkness. Think about a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There won't be any siestas. There won't be any time to uh, sit along, you know, get away from it all. There will be weeping. And what does gnashing of teeth mean? If you've ever been around somebody who is in immense pain, they grind their teeth. In fact, a lot of times when they're in immense pain, what do EMTs do so they don't hurt their teeth? Bite stick. That's all that's going to be there all the time for eternity. Second Thessalonians 1 again. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His might, angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, they will suffer punishment and eternal destruction again away from the presence of the Lord. God's word is clear. Hell is a place of eternal torment and separation from God. And this terrible revelation leads us to our question this morning. And this is one is so important. Why did Jesus want you and I to know about all this? Why did Jesus want us to know about hell? Is it so we can go out and scare everybody to heaven? You see, often that's the way that churches look at it. They have Halloween things that try to scare you to heaven. But that's not what it is, because if somebody is scared to heaven, by far the majority of them, after about four weeks of being scared, what happens? They go back to living the way they were anyway. You see, he wanted us to know about heaven because we love like Christ loves. And he wants us to know about the gnashing of teeth and darkness and the fury and the wrath and the separation from God so that it weighs on our hearts like it weighed on the heart of Jesus Christ himself when he left heaven to provide a way for people not to go there. He wants us to know about hell. He wants us to know that it's eternal. 
because he wants us to go out there and be lights to the people around us and help them see you don't want to know life without Jesus Christ. He wants hell to motivate us to be a light. He wants hell to motivate our desires and our love for the people around us. Let me ask you something. Is there anybody that you know at all in your entire life that you would want to see spend an eternity in hell? It was the worst bully you've experienced since high school or school. Or the one who stole your spouse from you. Or the one who took the job from you, the promotion from you that you were looking for and worked for for 10 years and they came in and kind of swooped it away. And I've been in situations where I heard somebody say, I wish they would go to hell because of what they did to me. Mm-hmm. Do they know what hell is? Do they have an understanding of what they're talking about? There is nobody that I would want even my worst of worst enemies to ever experience an eternity of being separated from God in darkness and with gnashing of teeth. When you walk out of here this morning, is your heart burdened for those that you know that are not saved? Who don't understand what it means really to be in hell? Don't try to scare them with hell. Help them understand that they're sinners. Help them understand that there is a hell. But help them understand more than anything else that there is a Jesus Christ, the one who loved them enough to offer his life for their salvation so they don't have to go there. God wanted us to know about hell so that we would be motivated. So that we would be motivated to tell others about Jesus Christ so at least they have the answers of how not to get there. You see, we need to know about hell more than any unsaved person out there because they don't know. They don't get it. And we would not be loving like our Savior is towards us if we didn't help them understand. So this morning as we end, I'd like you all to bow your heads just for a minute, please. And I'd like you to run through your mind those that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt right now are going to go and spend eternity in hell. Think about them right now. No matter who they are, think about them. And pray that God will give you the wisdom and the strength and the fearlessness to help them see their need for Jesus Christ. Pray for them right now. Pray for them that God would use you to keep them from an eternity in hell. Father, thank you so very much that you have revealed to us that there are only two places that we will spend eternity. 
Thank you, Lord God, that you didn't sugarcoat it. Thank you that you didn't hide it from us. Thank you that you put it on display in your word so that we would understand that hell exists, that it's eternal, and that it will be a time of eternal separation from you. Oh, Lord, there are so many people outside these doors that just don't know. They don't get it. So many of them think hell is going to be just a place where they can party with their friends. Or it won't be that bad. Father, I pray that somehow we would be able to balance the information they need to know about hell without trying to scare them to Jesus Christ. Father, you're the one that has to change their hearts. You're the one that has to open their eyes. Father, just use us as tools to show them what your word says. Father God, I pray for all the people that have been thought about here this morning. Our loved ones, our co-workers, our neighbors who we know, we know that this is where they're going to go. Father, I pray that it would motivate our hearts to pray for them every day. It would to motivate us to reach out to them, to develop relationships with them, to love them like Jesus Christ loved us no matter what that means. And Father, we thank you that we know the other side of the coin, that there is a heaven, and that because of Jesus Christ, we're going there. Father, as we enjoy Thanksgiving this week, holiday with our friends and family, I pray that at some time during that time of Thanksgiving, that our salvation will be a focus of that thanksgiving, a salvation that none of us deserved. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the worship team. In Christ's name, amen.